Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Let's take a seat and let's open up our Bibles, if you haven't already, to John chapter 12. And we're going to be getting straight into it this morning in verse 20. So John chapter 12, verse 20, look down in your Bibles. Let's get straight into it this morning. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Now, these Greeks were probably what is known as God-fearers. You see, at that time, if you wanted to worship the one true God, you had to become part of the nation of Israel. And so there was a process that you would go through. You'd become a God-fearer, and then eventually you'd become a proselyte, and you would join yourself and become part of the nation of Israel. So these Greeks were obviously God-fearers who were going up to the feast. Remember, it's almost time for the Passover, and they're going up to worship. And there is no doubt that they had heard probably about Jesus, as we saw last week, the news of how he had raised Lazarus from the dead had spread far and wide. So look down in verse 21. So these came to Philip, who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. What a great request. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. You know, the Jews had asked for a sign, but these God-fearers, these Greeks, they asked to see Jesus. Jesus. And so Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now, why did the Greeks come to Philip? Well, it's interesting. Philip was only one of two of the 12 who had a Greek name. And as you'll observe there in verse 21, Philip also came from Bethsaida in Galilee. Bethsaida was white on the border. It was a very mixed city that contained both Greeks and Jews together. So maybe these Greeks reasoned that since Philip had a Greek name and he'd come from a very diverse town, that maybe he would be open to their request. You know, I love to think when I think of this about how God is actually setting up our lives in such a way that sovereignly we will be positioned so that people will see Jesus through us. You know, I love Pastor Vincent here. Pastor Vincent, he just does a fantastic job on our staff. This past week, Pastor Vincent had the privilege of leading someone to Christ. Just fantastic. But Pastor Vincent, he comes from Hong Kong, and he also speaks Cantonese. So Pastor Vincent has opportunities to share the gospel with people that I don't have because of his upbringing and because of his sovereign circumstances. But every single one of us is like that. Every single one of us God has placed us in a certain place so that people will see Jesus through us. But how do we help people see Jesus? How can we help people see Jesus through our lives? Well, that's what this paragraph is really all about. And we're going to see a number of ways that we can help people see Jesus. The first way that we can help people see Jesus is by becoming a community that is marked by the cross. The first way that we can help people see Jesus is by becoming a community where at the center of our church is the cross. Now you'll see that 
These Greeks, they come to Philip, and then Philip, he goes, tells Andrew, and Andrew, interestingly, is the other disciple who has a Greek name, and Andrew and Philip go and tell Jesus, and then in verse 23, we read this, and Jesus answered them and said, the hour has come. Now, this is really surprising, because all the way throughout John's gospel, Jesus has said his hour has not yet come. For example, in John chapter 2, when Jesus' mother Mary came to him with the request to provide wine at the wedding, Jesus said, no, my hour has not yet come. Or in John 7, when Jesus' brothers said, why don't you go up to the Feast of Tabernacles and show yourself there? Jesus said, no, my hour has not yet come. But it's interesting here, with the coming of these Greeks and their request to see Jesus, a switch has been flipped and Jesus says, my hour has now come. So what flipped the switch? Why the change? Well, I think Jesus saw that in the coming of the Greeks to see him, Jesus was not just going to be the Messiah for Israel, but Jesus had come to be the Savior of the world. All throughout John's gospel, Jesus had been teaching this truth. To Nicodemus, Jesus said in John 3, for God so loved Israel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And later on, he says, I have sheep from other folds that I need to bring in so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. So with these Greeks coming to Jesus, Jesus now knows that his time has come for him to go to the cross and lay down his life as the savior of the entire world so that Jesus would bring about a multi-ethnic people of God. Remember I said that in the past, if you wanted to come and worship the one true God, then you had to become Jewish. But now that's no longer the case. If you want to come to God, you just come through Jesus. You come through the cross. You come by believing and trusting in Jesus. And you see, it is this multicultural, multi-ethnic body that reveals the beauty of King Jesus, where all divisions are now done away with, where there is now neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female, but we're all one in Christ. You know, it was interesting, a number of years ago, I was, uh, when I was at seminary, um, I heard this story of this young African-American who decided to go to church one Sunday. And so he went to this really big, famous church in Dallas, and he walked in the front door, and he saw a sea of white faces. And the greeter at the door looked him up and down and said, oh, I think the church that you're looking for is across the road. Remember, he was a young African-American, and so he went across the road, and sure enough, as he walked into that church, there was a sea of black faces. You know, someone has said that one of the most divided moments uh, is Sunday mornings, because often churches are just, what provides their unity is just their ethnic identity. You have black churches, you have white churches. But really, that should never be. 
Because the community that Jesus is trying to build is a community that isn't marked by all the previous labels, but that is marked by the cross. It's marked by Him alone. And when people come in here and see, like we have here, all the different people from different cultures and different places worshiping Jesus, it says, it, it speaks volumes. It really does. Because at the root word of community is the word common, is the word common. And all communities are built around something that they have in common. But what we have in common here is not the fact that we all look the same or we all come from one particular ethnic you know, place or we all like come, we all make roughly the same amount of money. We're all middle class. What we should have in common here is we are all been bought by Jesus, by his blood on the cross. And so we help others see Jesus when we focus as a community on the cross and become a community that is marked by the cross. A couple of weeks ago, I received a, a letter from uh, a church, a group of churches, and I was so saddened by this letter because in this letter, they they were speaking about a particular issue and they said what defined them was their traditions and their practices. That's what they said was the definition of what defined them and I just wept over that letter because what should define the church is Jesus. What should we should have in common is Jesus. People will see Jesus when you have a group of people who should have nothing in common because we look so different, <laughs> when they see this group of people who look so different coming together and in love, worshipping Jesus, that, that demonstrates Jesus. That shows Jesus. Well, second, the second way we help others see Jesus is not only be, by becoming a community marked by the cross, but it's by proclaiming the message of the cross. Notice in verse 23, Jesus answered them and said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now this title, Son of Man, does not refer to the fact that Jesus was human, that he was a Son of Man, that he was fully God and fully human. Rather, this, this phrase, the Son of Man, is a messianic title. It comes from Daniel chapter seven. In Daniel chapter seven, Daniel saw the Ancient of Days, he saw God giving over the kingdom to one like the Son of Man and all people bowing before this one who was like the Son of Man. So when the, the Jews would have heard Jesus say this, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified, they would have been thinking, yes, finally, now it's the time for God to bring about his kingdom where all nations will bow before the Messiah. They were expecting this to happen in glory and in power and in strength. But notice what Jesus goes on to say. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here he's speaking of the cross. He says, I'm gonna be a grain of wheat that's gonna fall into the ground and I am going to die. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, you saw glimpses of God's glory. 
like Moses. He said, to, he said to the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, well, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. And God passed by. But Jesus here says that the Son of Man will be glorified. And how will the Son of Man be glorified? It's by going to a cross and being crucified and being killed. You see, this shows us that the pulsing heart of God is one of sacrificial love for sinners. You want to see Jesus? You see him at the cross most clearly. That's where he is glorified. You know, many people, when they think of the life of Jesus, they think, man, he lived a, a fantastic life, but his life ended tragically. Jesus wouldn't think that. Jesus' whole purpose, his whole purpose in coming was to die on the cross. That was the moment when he was glorified. That was the moment when his identity was shown as the son of God. So how do we help others see Jesus? It's by proclaiming the message of the cross. You know, that's why C.H. Spurgeon said, whenever I preach from any passage, I make a beeline to the cross because that's where people's hearts will melt before him. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, I purpose to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. And he said, I know that when I preach, the cross is foolishness to the Greeks and it's a stumbling block to the Jews, but to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God and the power of God. This past week, I was um, reading this book by John Dixon about humility, where he traces the actual, the actual origin of humility, because humility was not a virtue that people in the ancient world prized. They didn't prize humility in an honor and shame culture you try to hold on to your honor and you try to limit your shame. Yes, they would bow before kings. People would bow down before kings because that demonstrated honor. But no one would bow before inferiors. No one would bow before equals. And yet, when Jesus came, he turned that whole honor and shame culture on his head. The king of glory came down and God was crucified on a cross. You see, the cross demonstrates the glory of God. And it's offensive. Because the cross says that you're a sinner. You are really worse than you even think. But praise God, you're more loved than you could ever imagine. You know, as I stand before you here this morning, I was just thinking as I was worshiping about if you guys were able to see the thoughts that I've had over the last 24 hours, you would be absolutely shocked. I am worse than what you think. But because of the cross of Jesus, I am more loved than I could ever imagine. And you see, when you preach the cross, not moralism, be good, be good, be good, or religion, do this, do this, do this. But when you preach the cross, that you are a sinner, but that you have a sufficient savior who died for your sin on the cross, who sacrificed himself for you, you watch what happens. 
People's hearts are drawn. People flood to that message. It amazes me how every Easter on Good Friday, when the cross is elevated and we reflect upon the cross, how people come and worship and become Christians. Because it's at the cross that we see Jesus. So how do we help people see Jesus? We help them by becoming a community marked by the cross, and we help them by proclaiming the message of the cross. But thirdly, and really significantly, we help others see Jesus by embodying the way of the cross. You see, words are not enough. Words are not enough. We need to embody the way of the cross. Notice that Jesus, in verse 24, he references himself But then in verse 25, he invites his apprentices, his disciples in. He says in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. That means if you live a selfish, self-centered life, you will lose your life. But whoever hates his life in this world, this is a Hebrew way of saying in comparison to your love for Jesus, everything else must be hate. In comparison to him, whoever hates his life in this, in this world, will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You see, the death of Jesus was unique. Jesus died as a substitute offering for sin, and that we can't repeat, we can't imitate. But Jesus calls his followers into the way of the cross, where we die, where we are like, we are like, if you're a Christian, you're like a seed that will go down into the ground and be planted and you will die so that God can bring new life out of your life. Now this is the way of holiness, is we die to sin so that his life can be seen in us. This is the way that character is formed in us God takes us through suffering and trials. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, I am pressed but not crushed. I'm persecuted but not abandoned. I'm struck down but I'm not destroyed. He says, I always carry about in my body the death of Jesus. So what does he say? So that the life of Jesus may be revealed in us. You see, we follow the way of the cross. Often we go through suffering and pain and trials And these things take us down into death so that we will rely on a power that doesn't come from ourselves but comes from heaven, comes from God. And it's also the way we love other people. We die to ourselves so that we can love and serve others. Husbands, if you're here today and you want your marriage to be transformed, Follow the way of the cross. Paul speaks about this in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Die to yourself so that you might serve and love your precious bride, your wife. You know, I've been reading a really fantastic book this year. I say reading because I'm still digesting it. It's by Paul E. Miller. It's called The J-Curve, Dying and Rising with Jesus in Everyday Life. And one of the things that he says is he says, for the first time in Western society, 
You have secular culture believing that they have a better vision of the good life, of the beautiful life, than the church. They are presenting to our young people this idea of inclusivism, this idea of acceptance, this idea of love. And he says that for the first time, they look at Christianity and think that Christianity is repressive, and it's bigoted, and it's full of hatred. He says, what Christians need to rediscover is a vision of the beautiful life, of the good life. What is the beautiful life? It is the life of Jesus, where Jesus died and laid down his life so that we might have life. I was reading this week from a secular author, and he said, what inspires me is not cathedrals or church buildings, but what inspires me, this secular author says, is evangelical doctors in the Sudan nursing AIDS victims. You see, the church does not just have to speak out the message of the cross. We have to embody the way of the cross where we die so that others might live. How radical would it be if in your workplace you saw your work not as just an idol that you serve for your own significance, but you were there in that job to die, to die so that you can serve the other people in your workplace, so that when gossip and slander and when you're treated unjustly, you don't rise up in pride, but you actually die so that others might be served and loved. What would it be like if we in this city, as City Reach Baptist Church, didn't just consume our city for our own benefit, for our own comfort, but we actually lived this type of life where we existed for the glory of God and the joy of the city? One of the most amazing, one of the popular, most popular movies this year was the movie Yesterday. Have you seen that movie? Anyone here seen that movie? It's okay, you can admit it, all right? You know, it's got the music from the Beatles. Interesting movie, interesting plot. The guy at the end, just to spoil the movie for you, the guy at the end of the movie, he turns away from stardom, from, from being um, you know, a famous star, which is what in my generation, people would want. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be Bono, you know. Turned away from stardom in order to have the quiet life, in order to have a couple of kids and to live out a quiet life in a quiet neighborhood. What this tells me is that the script has been changed in our culture where what we value now is the quiet life, the good life, the comfortable life. But if we're going to present to the world the message of the cross, then we are actually going to have to die to the comfortable life so that we can serve others. You know, when I think of, look down at verse 24, this is powerful. When I think of verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. When I think of that, do you know what I think of? I think of the many missionaries who were planted as seeds in foreign mission soils. 
and they died. But now there is a mighty harvest for God's glory in those mission fields. I think of like um, Adoniah Judson, who went to Burma. For the first five years when he preached in Burma, no one became a Christian. His children died, his wife died. He sat in front of her grave for a week, weeping before the Lord. How could this happen? But today in Burma, there are thousands of Christians and thousands of churches. My friend Roland goes and does a BSL in Burma, training Burmese Christian leaders. A grain of wheat goes into the ground and it dies and it bears much fruit. Do we want to be a fruitful church? then it will cost, we will have to die. We'll have to hate our life, but we will keep it for eternal life in the one to come. This world is teaching you to save your life in comfort and pleasure and cups of coffee and a beautiful culture and just have a quiet life in the hill with 2.3 kids. Jesus is calling you to something much greater. Something much greater. And I know in the process of dying, it's difficult because it's painful. It was painful for Jesus. And when he hung on that tree and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was painful. But what comes after crucifixion? Resurrection. Resurrection. And even though right now there might be some people in this room who are experiencing many deaths in their lives, maybe through suffering and pain and trials or, or other things that they're experiencing, you're experiencing a mini death, if you depend upon God and turn to him in the midst of that, on the other side, you will see a resurrection. You will see his power come through. So how do we show people Jesus? <laughs> we need to become a community marked by the cross. We need to proclaim the message of the cross and then we need to embody the way of the cross. I was reading this week about how in the old historic church of the open door in Los Angeles, it used to be quite an amazing thing to stand up and preach. They had a, a huge auditorium and a number of balconies and it would take your breath away as you stood behind the pulpit in this huge church. But written on the church was a plaque with these, with chapter 12, verse 21. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And it's a good reminder for every preacher. It's not about your skill, it's not about your eloquence, it's about Jesus. And it's a good reminder for us as a church, it's not about our eloquence or skill, it's about Jesus and helping people see Jesus by becoming a community marked by the cross, by proclaiming the message of the cross, and by embodying the way of the cross in our lives. But why don't churches do it? And why don't we do it? Why do churches 
build their community around something other than Jesus? So why do the churches, you know, end up proclaiming moralism or religion rather than the message of the gospel? And why don't we follow the way of the cross? Well, if we are going to help others see Jesus, we need to see Jesus. And maybe it's been a long time since you've seen Jesus. But through the eyes of faith this morning, will you see that he came and was crucified and he died for you? You are more sinful than you think, but you are more loved than you can imagine because the pulsing heart of God is one of sacrificial love for you. Well, Lord, I pray that you would help us in our church to see Jesus so that we can help others see Jesus. So we'll be people who proclaim the message of the cross, but we'll also be people who embody the way of the cross. That we, our lives will be beautiful as we lay down our lives in sacrificial service of others, even our enemies. Lord Jesus, and this will point people to the reality of who you are. We pray that you would help us to see you this morning through the eyes of faith. Because you are truly good, you are truly glorious, Lord Jesus, and we worship you this morning and honor you this morning. Praise your name this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship.